I've got to turn myself on. Good morning. Welcome to 6-8. Me, uh, me and the worship leader, I'm not going to say his name, he'll get in trouble, <laughs> are not feeling well this morning, so you can be praying for us as, as this all goes, goes down. Uh, parenting is heart work conference, seminar, workshop, or whatever you want to call it, was yesterday. It was phenomenal. Shelly did a great job. Um, really good practical stuff. Uh, for those of you who are here, I, I'm sure you enjoyed it, and um, it was all, quite a few other people from other churches here as well, so it was good. It was a good time. It was the first time I think we've done like an event where we've invited other churches, so that was exciting. Um, the other thing about uh, that is at some point during that day, I, I asked Shelly, who I've known for 25, 30 years, something like that, um, if she knew Don. Poulter Woods, who's going to be speaking at the Women's Retreat, and she said, oh my gosh, yes, she is phenomenal. You guys are going to love her. So um, that was a good plug, because <laughs> Shelly, her opinion carries a lot of weight with me, so it's exciting. You, I think the women are going to have a great time. The guys are going to have five different speakers, all from our own crowd, so that's going to be exciting. Um, let me pray for us before we get started. Father, we are, um, I don't know, six sermons into this series and it se- it it seems to me holy spirit that you are churning up stuff in us seems to me that you are bringing things to the surface as i talk to people and i'm grateful for that i pray that you would encourage our hearts as we walk through that together as a church and as individuals with you I pray that your spirit would envelop us, infiltrate us, wrap around us, whatever vision or image we want to grab hold of, to understand that you are here with us, that we reside under your grace, that you love us, you care for us, that the old is gone, the new has come, that we are safely under your care. Let us explore deeply. Let us be brave and explore deeply our hearts as they relate to you. And I pray especially this morning for those of us in this room who may not have yet made that decision to follow you, that we would make that decision now. That we would say, this is the day, this is the moment where I give my life to Jesus. Because it is that important that we reconcile with the God of the universe through your death and sacrifice on the cross. And we thank you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, wow, what a busy week I've had. I've had a really busy week. And, and it's been a really good week. A lot of good things have happened. Um, and I am really excited about that. Um, you know, I think God has bigger fish to fry than taking sides on the football grid had to happen, right? You you knew I had to have talk about it. However, I do recognize that so many of these Eagles players who seem to be uh, proclaiming Christ and living out of Christian values, they may have influenced their teammates and that may have had an effect. It may have uh, made the team stronger. It may have made the team more unified and and to work well. I don't know. Uh, You know, you know me. If you, if you're new here, you'll know I'm not a football fan. I'm not a baseball fan. I'm not anything. I am an artist. I don't even know 
some of the terms, you know, that kind of thing. So, but, um, but it may have done something. All that's, you know, is part of what we're speaking of in this series. You know, spiritually healthy people coming together uh, in spiritual communities that are healthy, uh, constantly influencing each other for Christ. So, the, not that I'm saying God had a hand in the wind, that God was like all for the eagles or something like that, but godly values in the lives of the players very well could have had something to do with that. I mean, I think Nick Foles says, I love you guys every time he breaks the huddle. That's kind of weird. Is that, is that his name? Yeah, okay, I got it right. I don't even know if I'm getting the names right, right? I thought the other guy's name was Eats, but then I found out it was Ertz. <laughs> but they may have been operating on this holistic, healthy manner. It could be. It could be. Not looking out for self, but looking out for the good of the whole. And that makes a difference on a team or a community of people. So even though I don't typically have a horse in the race for football games, I was very much into this game. My dad was a little bit surprised. He was like, oh, we're going to make a football fan out of you yet. I was literally, me, I was up at the TV screaming, waving my fist in the air. I, was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how... how I, I think it struck me that they've never won the Super Bowl. And this would be the first time. That was, to me, the underdog image just meant a lot, I guess. I don't know. But I, I was glad. I was glad that I got in on board, right? I said that I would. Some of you laughed at me and said, don't even bother trying if you're not going to do it for real. But I did it for real. I really got into it. And hopefully, the faith of some of these players uh, will now influence their fans. I, I do hope for that, right? But we would say that the Eagles played hard last Sunday, right? That... Uh, they put their all into it, that their lives revolved around that game and revolved around winning it really like 110%, right? They were passionate, and they backed that up on the field with action. And they practiced hard, and they they went at it with every fiber of their being. And all that devotion showed on the playing field, and, and you think about the level of commitment and the level of the devotion of, of the players and the fans that, that they show, they've shown to that team and to, to uh, the game in these past weeks, it's, it is incomparable. It's amazing how just devoted they were to this whole process, right? And I'm sure that devotion and that love of the game and of the team and of the teammates is very, very real In this moment when they're together, right? Although I do think over time it will wane. It will run dry. Even if it's just due to age, I can't play anymore, so it doesn't mean the same anymore, right? And we must admit that uh, some of our devotion as a player on a team is partly driven by paycheck, right? And when they're traded to another team, affections will shift to a new team in a new city. And that doesn't diminish what they've done they just did last this past sunday it is just life right it is life that love and the passion is dictated by outside factors for them factors which change and morph uh, over time they diminish and alter the affections of the players over time The day the Eagles won the Super Bowl will always be remembered fondly, but from a distance without the same intensity as in the moment, right? Even today, it's a little bit different. On one occasion, Luke chapter 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? Can I get a glass of water? (coughs) What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Right? Thank you. Um, so this, um, this kind of a love that is talked about right there in that passage to me is all encompassing, right? It takes over every little bit of you. It's not club devotion. It surpasses Eagles fan and player devotion. This is what Jesus refers to when he, says, he agrees with this guy is this is everything I am kind of a devotion. Everything I am kind of a love. That all revolves around this being who claims to be the beginning and end of all human life and all endeavor, all creation. Remember, Scripture uses the word heart and mind interchangeably in the English. They're one and the same. God calls the faithful to a true 110%, 150% surrender of the whole self, right? Heart, soul, strength, and mind. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. Followed, quickly on the heels of that, followed by a love of neighbor in the same sort of intensity. And in that order. Since to love others well... We first have to understand ourselves in relation to God, don't we? Otherwise, it will wane when something better comes along or uh, luster wears thin or there's no, uh, no life or death aspect to it that is driving our love. Because we all know football, it's not life and death. It's a game. To have this kind of love that Jesus is talking about here, we must understand our hearts in relation to God and also from what we've been saved since it is a matter of life and death. It really is. Understanding is the foundation of care. What we, what we uh, care for, we've got to understand, right? We've got to understand. So if we're talking about care of our heart, we've got to understand our heart. Or at least try to understand our heart. Uh, We know that it's a complex thing. We've said that in the past. But the heart, the will, the spirit are basically one and the same. Although they refer to different aspects of the central core of a person, right? The will is the power to initiate and to create and to bring about that thing that wasn't there before, right? That didn't exist before. The spirit is that thing that is independent of our physical being, our physical reality. And then the heart, the, the heart refers to the central core of a person to which all else owes its functioning, right? Remember, our heart influences everything that we say or do or think. The three are reminiscent of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God expressed in three persons, we like to say, right? And a person having at their center the heart, the will, and the spirit. Three distinct terms referring to one essence expressed in three different aspects, right? Heart, will, and spirit. And the care for the heart, this care for the heart will, will 
will or, or, or the spirit is made difficult, very, very difficult as a matter of fact, due to all the conflicting viewpoints out there in the world about what human nature is. These conflicting viewpoints all vie for our attention through all these various media platforms and relationships and spiritual gurus that we see out there in the news or wherever. They surround us, right? And we hear their message and their voice all the time. And we live in a very noisy and very opinionated world. And God's voice clamors to get through to us. That's why it's so good to be silent sometimes and let God speak. The intellectual humanist will say that there is no human nature. That we're nothing but animals, right? And that when, once we're dead, we will cease to be. I, I loved what Shelley said at the end of the parenting conference yesterday. She said, you know, you've heard that, you know, you've got to have this stuff formed in your children before you're, they're five years old or seven years old or whatever the number was. She goes, I just want to tell you that that is a humanistic philosophy. And it is not true. We have a God that is changing people until they're on their deathbed. You remember the guy on the cross next to Jesus said, today I want, I want to be in your kingdom. And he said, today you'll be in the kingdom with me. The guy lived a life going the opposite way from God his whole life. And Jesus said, no, today you're going to be with me. At the very last moment he changed, his heart changed. So I like that, right? Not, not once you're dead, you will cease to be. That's, that is, you know, they, people will say that we're in essence good, that there's no sinful nature, there's no inherent sin within us, that we shouldn't all be told what to do, that you can't place your, your whatever on us, your faith or your, your belief system on us, and therefore we're all free to make our own choices as individuals. Remember we've said what our hearts are like, that they are easily taken away by things. That human beings don't have a nature, that, they, that human classifications are solely social constructs springing from judgment and motivations from just social groups or cultures or what have you. Cultural and religious difference, differences are fine. They're, they're tolerated as long as they're celebrated, right, as differences. And one group doesn't proclaim their beliefs to be true for everybody else. Philosophies, all those philosophies contrary to the scriptural estimation and claims of what humans are and what our central dilemma is, as the scriptures outline it for us. I was recently watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, I do watch that. Hang my head in shame. Um... And Larry David says to his wife, why do Christians always have to push their faith on us, on other people? Well, it's not, it, it's not only that we're commanded to share our faith, right? We are. But it is that we love people. And we honestly believe that, that this is a life or death issue for, for them, for everyone, right? There was one episode recently where it's called the terrorist attack where Larry's told this secret from somebody from the CIA that there's going to be a terrorist attack in L.A. And he chooses only to tell this one lady to get, her on, his, get on her good side. But he didn't tell her the rest of his friends. And then it comes out. And then they're like, why wouldn't you tell me? It's a life or death thing. You didn't tell me. Right? Remember Penn and Teller. What's, I forget his first name. Penn. Uh, he's, a, he's an atheist, and he said, you know, I don't trust Christians that don't sh- try to share the gospel with me because if they don't, try, that means that they don't love me, they don't care for me because they honestly believe that they have the keys to life. 
This is life or death. We believe that Jesus is the only way to right relationship to God. And to enjoy eternal fellowship with him forever. That's what we believe, right? It would be unloving to tell, not tell people that. Postmodern society rages against the Christian notion that we have a basic uh, shared human identity and especially against this Christian notion of identity in Christ. They just do not like that because to them it is too limiting. Although there are songs, there are commercials, there are poetic creations out there follow, you know, touting human oneness, touting human togetherness as if we're all in the same boat in life. And we, we are to some extent. You know, you saw the commercials on the, uh, during the Super Bowl, the, the, the rabbi and the pastor and the imam and whatever going out to lunch or then going to the game together. You know, and that's nice. I have those friends and I do do those things. I'm not a jerk. I like those people, right? Those that do not share my belief system. I, I have those friends. But these expressions can only be in the positive out there in the world. They can't be, they can't, they don't have the ability to acknowledge the absolute deep theological differences at their core. If I go to, out to friends, you know, I've, I've had imam friends in the past and I go out to lunch with them. I know that guy doesn't believe that I'm going to heaven. I know that. doesn't mean he's a jerk. It just means that he has his belief system. We kick against the idea that anything or anyone else can identify humanity or what is right for humanity. We live by the statement in this society, that's okay for you, but it's not okay for me. Jesus his exclusive claims of salvation are un, un, they're an un, well, I can't speak this morning unwelcome message in this world today. They're really un, un, uh, unwelcome. The idea of a basic human nature, as Scripture defines our human condition, just isn't within the vernacular of the postmodern mind. So when the Christian speaks in terms of spiritual. We're not speaking as the postmodern agnostic or the Muslim or the Buddhist or, or any others, how any others do. We're not talking about the same things. Our ideas of the spiritual sprout out of this concrete, biblically eternal understanding of God and human nature and the heart as it's related to Jesus. Spiritual, for the postmodern out there, that person is ethereal it is elusive it's all over the place it's ever-changing it is the wave tossed about on uh, to and fro in the ocean right dependent on the individual dependent on the time and and the situation therefore to understand human nature is of great importance to understand where we fall in all that is of is of very great importance And the sad truth is that the web of deceit over our society is so thick that we rarely even get to discuss the human predicament, the human heart, or identity uh, at, at anything with any real seriousness. We don't. We get cut off before we can plumb the depths due to, due to this social group think out there. Don't go there. Don't talk about that. Yeah, you can go to lunch together and you can have fun, which we should, but don't go any deeper. 
As C.S. Lewis's work, you know, his, the screw tape letters, I, the demonic goal is to keep the human from realizing his need for God in order to rescue him out of his inherent human predicament, right? To, to, uh, to rescue him from his sinful self. Wormwood, I think his name is, the, the demon under the instruction of his uncle Screwtape, screw uh, keeps this man uh, from realizing his own human depravity, right? He, he, he keeps him from realizing his own need of God through distraction in any form he can throw at the guy, right? Just keep him from thinking about himself in relationship to God. Just keep that from happening, Right? And in one letter, Screwtape writes to Wormwood, he says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the easy one, right? The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Then in another one, he writes, It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work's done by keeping things out. Right? And in conversations today, you'll notice that the idea of human need for the divine is flippantly batted away. The subject has changed very quickly. People, people willingly stay distracted through entertainment or the pride of their intellect or in order not to see the true self, not to look at their hearts. Keep it out. Keep things soft underfoot. People will do all they can rather than to be forced to address their heart since the heart is a frightening thing. To love God and to love others in the way in which Luke 10 speaks about our heart, our will, our spirit must first and absolutely be given over and and begin to conform itself to Christ. Otherwise, it's an impossibility to love like this. That means accepting, first off, our desperate need for Jesus, right? Not just in the moment of being saved from our depraved human heart or human condition of sinfulness, but also on a daily basis, for those of us who have been walking for a while, on a daily basis as we grow in faith and likeness of Him, right? We're told this in Romans 8, 5 through 8. It says, those who live according to the sinful flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Spirit of God, right? The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. We're also told in Ephesians 2 the same thing in different words. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. But just as Romans in verse 9, chapter 8 verse 9 speaks hope to those who have given themselves to Jesus in saying this. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit of God lives in you. In other words, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are in the realm of the Spirit. Something's changed in you. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 does the same. But because of His great love for us, God, 
who is rich in mercy, made us alive. That's, he did it for us. He brought life to our dead hearts, right? He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Firstly, without the Spirit of God residing and moving within us, we are spiritually dead, unable to respond to and to conform to God's will. We certainly don't expect perfection from ourselves in our devotion since we've been brought over, uh, uh, over that, um, what do you call it, the threshold of faith. But everybody must begin with a sincere giving in to the will of God and an openness to transformation into his likeness. Jesus himself called that being born again. It's a term some people don't like these days, but it is a scriptural term, being born again. When he was talking to Nicodemus, and he said this, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, no translation, no one can see, be reconciled with God, no one can reside with God unless they are born again. God births new spiritual life within us. Has that happened for you? Salvation is a work of God. It is an absolute work of God. Meaning we're woken up from spiritual death. We're made spiritually alive. Our hearts, that non-physical part of ourself, is revived. Brought to life once more. Or as Jesus puts it, we're born again into the heart of God, right? Which brings with it all this power of the Spirit of God into our lives at work in us to do and to, to do His will, to form us, to shape our hearts into Christ's likeness. I want to stop right here and I want, I want you guys to go into prayer with me and I want you to consider whether or not you've made that step. Let me just pray for you for a second. Father, if there's somebody in here that has not made that step, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, come right now. Open their ears, open their eyes, open their heart to see and to hear and to receive you. If that is a convicting message that they need you, they desperately need you, Pray that you would open your heart, your heart to them and they would open their heart to you. There is nothing complicated about this. All it means is to say yes to Jesus. Yes, I want you in my life. Yes, I want you as Savior and Lord of my life. So if you haven't ever said that before, or if there's some doubt in your heart by... to whether or not it is true for you, just say that prayer right now. Yes, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. Amen. God's heart is expressed in his thoughts. God's, uh, his thoughts are his heart, right? Can't separate the two. And as we come into Christ, we take on the heart of God, don't we? Or we should. <laughs> which is to think like him, it's to re- react like him, it's to begin to act like him in, ways, in different ways as we grow deeper in him. Since in time, his heart bleeds out into our behavior, right? It bleeds out in how, in how do we live, what we do with our time and our talents and our treasure. 
It comes out in all that stuff over time. And it is, at least for me, it is an all-encompassing love. Loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. With every fiber of our being, we play the game to driving farther towards Christ-likeness, never giving up, you know, never giving in, playing until the clock runs out on life, just like they did last week, right? Making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. But at times, in this whole thing, it feels like we're living screw tape letters in real life, doesn't it? As we get distracted by all the things demonic. It's, you know, anything in the world, and it, like they just throw everything at the, in the world at us that, that takes us off, uh, off center or off track, right? It's like running a marathon up a hill and somebody's rolling tires down the hill at you and you've got to dodge them all the time. It just seems to come at you at full force. Whatever it is that would tempt you away from Jesus just comes at you at full force. The heart is the executive center of the person, the thing which can dodge the tires if divinely directed rightly, right? For the most part, it is what drives us, although there are many factors at play. We know that. It's the central driving factor for life. Our heart drives our lives, right? Get the heart in line with with Jesus and all else will follow through or follow suit, right? All else will fall into place. And that is what's meant by the lordship of Christ in this old image. Have you ever seen this image? The self-directed life and the Christ-directed life. The self is on the throne and the self-directed life directing decisions and actions represented by those little dots in there, right? Often resulting in frustration, Jesus is on the outside of life, right? So there you are enthroned to self on life and everything's kind of chaotic. Things are all over the place. Life doesn't have any order. You can't see straight through things. You're, you're depressed, you're angry, you're bitter, you're whatever. It doesn't, nothing's making sense. And then you have the Christ-directed life. When Christ takes over your life, he he puts himself on the throne of your life, and you, everything comes into order. Jesus is in the, li- is in the life and, and on the throne. Self is yielding to Jesus. The person sees Jesus' influence and direction in their life, and things seem to start working, right? Jesus, by his death and resurrection, enlivens our spiritually dead hearts, and he empowers us to live a life of love that we see in Luke chapter 10. The benefits which include the creation of individuals who are prepared and capable of responding to life in ways which are good and are uh, healthy and are right and all that kind of stuff, right? Lives in order and with life and death purpose about them. Living in ways which make life better. Not only for themselves, but for others. Ways which are in line with God's heart and therefore naturally, naturally are loving people uh, all around them. They are naturally loving their neighbors because they've become loving people, right? Not perfect people, but people in progress moving deeper and into becoming more and more like Jesus all the time. See, growing in Christ makes one less violent, 
increasingly less selfish, appreciative and excited about cultural differences in people. So racism goes away. Increasingly lighthearted and less anxious people, more apt to give and sacrifice time and talent and treasure for the good of others. Kinder, gentler people, etc. and so on and so forth. Why would we keep Jesus to ourselves at all? He's not, o- the only, he's not only the, way, the key to all of our ills, but he's the key to everybody's ills. He truly is. Yet we can, at times, like we've said in the past, treat salvation trivially, like fire insurance, right? Which, by the way, probably reveals that we need to evaluate whether or not we truly know Jesus in the first place. Do you know, I'm a pastor, I preach to you every Sunday, and I still ask myself, am I preaching out of Christ? Is this true? You know, those who... uh, You know, do the bare minimum of the, minimum of the Christian life. Uh, find themselves living by distraction, right? You know, they may come to church on a Sunday or whatever, but they live by distraction. They're, they find themselves living fractured lives, in a sense. He's Savior, but He's not really Lord. Not allowed Him to be, Right? And the heart isn't, therefore, in line with God's. And as a result, all the other members of the physical body seem not to have direction and begin making decisions on their own. You seem to be controlled by your, your other parts of your body. You know, you can't control yourself. We have terms for people like this. We say things like, he's led by his stomach. Right? His feet are swift, to, or her feet are swift to lead her into trouble. He's got a wandering eye, meaning he's married, but he looks around, right? He can't control his eyes. Oh, he's so emotional. In other words, he can't control himself. He's, he's driven by his emotions. He can't, he just reacts, right? His rage comes out, anger comes out, whatever it is. She's a nervous Nelly. She can't control herself, her anxiety. She can't get over her fears and all that kind of stuff. We have stains for these things. Somebody just texted me. (laughs) Go away. Um, But like any badly run organization, right, it's not long before this kind of body just falls apart in some way or it limps along through life only realizing 20% of its potential. This kind of a person, right? We see that in Proverbs 25, 28, he says, like a city that is broken into without walls as a man who has no control over his spirit. When spiritual formation of the heart hasn't been tended to well, we're subject to almost any whim or philosophical wind which blows out there. And we can see why people say you can't help others until you can help yourself. There's kind of some truth in that statement. But the Christian understanding of that statement is that to help yourself, you need to go and let yourself be helped by Jesus. Day in and day out. And the good news, like Shelley said yesterday, I think, for children, and it's also true for adults, the good news is that no, no matter how disjointed and how crazy our life has become out of all these bad choices, 
When we step deeper into our relationship with Jesus, we become a person of maturity and solidity and calmness and wisdom and clarity and discernment and all those good things. We bring ourselves into harmony with ourselves and with God and with others in life. And in doing so, we promote life and health and harmony in our communities in which we live and interact and we bump into other people, right? So, from a non-football fan, that means something, right? If so many of the eagles are walking well with the Lord, if they are, I'm not saying they are, but if they are, it doesn't mean God's an eagles fan. But it may, I mean, the patriots are praying too. There's Christians in Boston, right? Is that where they're from? Yeah, okay. I'm looking over to Greg. Thanks, Greg. But it doesn't mean that God's an evil. But it may mean that what God has said all along actually really works. That a life lived well with Jesus produces harmony, produces peace, produces love, produces grace, and unity all around us, and it produces healthy systems that work well together. I love you guys. Break. Right? Just like uh, Shelly said yesterday about children and families and units. If if the mom and dad are following Jesus well and instituting these things in in their family, it works well. It works. Human nature is made up of six essential aspects of our lives. First of all, there is thought. Remember back in the Animate series, we talked a lot about this, about images and concepts and judgments and reasoning and conclusions that we make in our minds, right? So thought. It's made up of feeling. Feeling is another aspect, or the sensations we get, the emotions we have. It's made up of choice, our, our will, our decision, our decisions, our, our character is is defined or or revealed by that the body the physical body actions and the interactions with the physical world all around us and then the soul the factor that integrates all of the above into form one life my soul How's, how's your soul right and the ideal spiritual life is one in which all of these things are ordered around God, and they are being restored, and they are being renewed, and they are being sustained by Him, right? So spiritual formation is the process leading to that end, and the result is love of God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and all of your strength, and also love of your neighbor as yourself. And that's why just trying harder or just waiting on on God to make a move or just getting more information like we talked about last week doesn't really work. Those are the go-tos. Rather, we want to be the person fully integrated under God, our hope for self and for everyone else in this world, and to be bleeding that out to others. So think on your nature. Think about it. Do a personal inventory of those six things this week. Um, thought. What, what do my thoughts center around? And where do they naturally go? Like when you wake up in the morning, what are your first thoughts? I had a guy who's not from this church tell me this week, when I wake up, the first thing I think about is sex. Okay, I'm looking for kids. 
<laughs> right? Huh? Boston. He was from Boston. That's right. Uh, he's probably from Boston. Um, you know what I mean? Like, where do your thoughts first go? Where do they center on? Are they worthy of Christ? Now, I, let, me, let me clarify. I'm not a prude. I don't think anybody should be a prude. There's nothing wrong with thinking about sex, you know, in the right context. But he wasn't talking about the right context. Are, are these thoughts worthy of Christ? Do, do they honor yourself? Do they honor others? Do they honor God's creation? Take that in inventory. See where you lie in that. Think about your feelings, right? Which feelings identify or govern your life the most? Is it anger? Are you always angry? Or are you always fearful? Are you always full of anxiety? Why? Why? And are they positive, uplifting, healthy feelings? Do they reflect the nature of God and the character of God and the truth of Scripture? Choice. Your choices, right? Is my will easily swayed? Do I have a steel rod up my back or not? Are, are my choices healthy? Do my choices reveal strong Christ-like character, how can I make better choices in life? My body. Are the members of my body used in ways which are unhealthy or sinful? What are my involuntary bodily, bodily uh, responses to things? Right? And what, did that, what does that reveal about my heart? Like when I talk to people, can I look them in the eye? Or do I always do this? Or always look over their shoulder or whatever? What does that say about me? Do, like when I'm talking to Greg at lunch and a pretty woman walks through the room, am I like this? I can't pay attention to what Greg's saying to me because my eyes are naturally just, well, that's a nice whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? Do I salivate at unhealthy things? You remember old movies like alcoholics would always go like this? Whenever they saw, like, a bottle of alcohol, they would always go, That's, there's a physical reaction. Their bodies are tuned to what they're doing. They start to feel it in their mouth that they need, they want that drink. What does your body tell you about what you do in life? When I see potato chips, I feel it physically, and I'm trying so hard to break that. Ice cream, by the way, is not such a big problem anymore. But anyway, social context, how are my relationships, right? How are my relationships? Am I influencing and, 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 and moving others towards Christ? Am I actually doing something with people as far as Jesus is concerned? Who are my influencers? Who, have, who has a voice in my life? Well, who do I follow in life? And should I be following them? There, uh, never mind. <laughs> um, I have one friend who loves Oprah, and I'm sure Oprah's a really nice lady, but my gosh, what bad theology. She is just horribly, terribly off base on almost everything she says. She's really sweet. She's very rich, too. And she's made money on that. But gosh, don't follow Oprah, right? Well, Oprah says, oh, don't say that to me again. Just please do me the respect of you're talking to a pastor. Don't say, Oprah says, 
Paul says, Jesus says, that's, that's better. Anyway, I'm sorry. But, um, but who are our influencers? Who are our gurus? Who are our spiritual advisors, right? Am I making things better in my social context uh, that I live within, right? And then your soul. Overall, how's my soul? How's my life? How's my soul? How's everything about me? Do I feel at peace? Do I feel content? Is that my overall station in life? That I'm, o- I'm, I'm okay. I, like, crap's hitting me, but I'm okay. I know where I am. I know who I am in Christ. Right? How do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel like I'm living out of purpose with Jesus? There's a little book that the Vineyard puts out called How's My Soul. I don't know if it's along the edge there, but I probably have some downstairs. How's My Soul? Good little study, right? Am I restless? Am I never content, right? Those are, those are questions you should be asking yourself all the time. So prayerfully consider those six things this week. Maybe, you know, maybe take one a day, going to prayer with it, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you about it. What are the scriptures that, which reinforce Christ's likeness in those different areas? Go do the research, find those, pray through those scriptures. Own them, believe them for yourself. You're feeling overwhelmingly anxious? Go find some things that, in scripture that will make you Okay, Jesus has got it, right? Praise Christ's lordship over these various areas of life. Let him take control. Let him be on that throne. And sometimes we need to hear others do this, right? So let's end today with a few words from David as he wrote Psalm 16, 7 through 9. Uh, and let's notice as we read this all the little aspects of the human self that he touches on in a very short passage. As we prayerfully read this, he, he touches on the mind, the will, uh, feeling, soul, and body. All are mentioned, right? So let's let David lead us now in stepping deeper into the waters of faith with Christ as we read Psalm 16 and 7 through 9. Just go to prayer, and I'm going to read this a few times quietly, and I may pray some other things over you, and we may be quiet for a moment as well. Psalm 16, 7 through 9. Holy Spirit, come. Come right now. I know that there are people in this room in turmoil. I know it. I know that there are people in this room whose heart is twisted into a knot over something. I know that there are people in this room that have pain that they can't see past. There are people in this room full of anxiety or scared of something that they can't get past. But you are in the business of changing our hearts. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, David says. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices and my body also rests secure. Just let those words settle in your heart. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. 
I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. Think about what concepts or words stick out to you from that. What, do you, what is the Holy Spirit telling you to grab hold of in his promises to you? Father, we thank you for this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.